0: Section 3 of Mrs. Piozzi's Thraliana by Charles Hughes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. As this is not a life of Mrs. Thrale, readers may be referred to Boswell, Hayward, or Mr. Seeley for an account of Thrale's death, the appointment of executors, and the sale of the brewery. The use of Streatham House and the income from fifty thousand pounds were left to Mrs. Thrale. Most of the important passages in Thraliana in reference to her gradual attachment to Piozzi, her determination to marry him, and then her resolution to send him to Italy and give him up for the sake of her daughters, were communicated to Mr Haywood by Mr Salisbury. But the love tale is told in full by Mrs Thrale, and it is only in Thraliana that it can be read in full. Miss Burney was the confidant, she was opposed to the piozzi marriage she did not approve of mrs thrale marrying a man who was a foreigner and a roman catholic but seems to have behaved with sympathy and discretion it is curious that she should herself have afterwards married monsieur d'arble who was also a foreigner and a roman catholic mrs thrale had left streatham which was let to lord shelburne the prime minister and when she gave up Piozzi, retired to Bath with her daughters. Her constancy to Piozzi remained unimpaired. They wrote to each other, and she frequently sent him verses, which do not seem to have cooled his affection. Early in 1784, her daughters took pity on her. She was very ill, and was in truth dying of love for Piozzi. So Miss Thrale wrote to Milan to recall the amante adorato from his banishment. During this period, she is too much agitated to write much on general topics, but the following passage in Thraliana is stated at Bath on March the 15th, 1784. Quote, to neglect or forbear the education of our children is surely not the fault of the present age. Every boy is driven into the lists of literature, where indeed failure is now hardly a disgrace. So many and so impotent are the claimants for fame. Every female is harassed with masters she disregards, and heaped with accomplishments which she ought to disdain, when she reflects that her mother only loads her with allurements as a rustic lace birdlime on twigs to decoy and catch the unwary traveller. Like that... Too, it is often laid on so unskilfully that man and bird flies instinctively away. Their intention appears so very palpably. Yet is education at last an admirable thing. End quote. The marriage takes place on the 25th of July, 1784, and on September the 3rd, she enters in Thraliana this heartfelt expression of satisfaction. Quote, I have now been six weeks married, and enjoyed greater and longer felicity than I have ever yet experienced. To crown all, my dear daughters Susanna and Sophia have spent the day with myself and my amiable husband. We part in peace and love and harmony. And tomorrow, I set off for the finest country in the world, in company with the best man in it. And so for Italy, leaving behind Johnson, who behaved very badly indeed with reference to her marriage, and for whose conduct towards his benefactress there is no sufficient excuse and hardly any palliation. I give the following extracts from Thraliana about her travels Paris, twenty third of September, seventeen eighty four. The Count Torghoni hump-backed Italian nobleman who lives always here, to enjoy that liberty which great cities are sure to afford, has offered his house near Milan for us to inhabit, while he studies life all day and chemistry all night among the Parisians. I was diverted with the account of the people he lives with and whom he does not love. But anything, says he, is better than etiquette and insipidity so I keep clear of Milano, at least, and pass my life in the manner I best like." He seems to esteem me, and so indeed do all the Italians I have yet been introduced to. Goldoni dined here one day, and we struck fire vastly well. He is such a looking man as the famous James Harris of Salisbury, and extremely garrulous. The Italians talk a great deal, but he out talked to them all, she hears on the twenty fifth of January of Johnson's death, which had been long expected, and writes, quote, "Oh, poor Dr. Johnson, Unquote. but she is herself very happy twenty seventh of january milan seventeen eighty five Here am I." With my husband and his friends passing my birthday after all past anguish in the bosom of friendship love and good humour with my health recovered as far as it was recoverable and even my looks repaired by growing fat so as to content my ever partial my ever kind companion what blessings what comforts are these and how grateful well, ought i to be for a change someone hoped for though always eagerly desired. We have a dinner and a concert, and I am fed with flattery even to repletion. But that, of course, which most delights my heart is the unfeigned pleasure which I see my Piozzi takes in my company. God has heard my prayers and enabled me to make happy the most amiable of his sex. Was I to wish for more? I might provoke Providence to lessen the enjoyments I possess. Let me suppress all inordinate desire of a child by the man I so love. That only could add to my happiness. So passes the happiest birthday ever yet experienced by Hester Lynch Piozzi. End quote. Though she finds the Italians pleasant and amiable, She is much disgusted with their customs and superstitions and the grossness of their talk. I told Piozzi the other day that I thought Senator Morosini's talk was like nothing I ever heard of but a midwife's evidence in England upon a trial in a court of justice. I have always been partial to Peter, as elder brother, though I acknowledge him neither for padre nor Monsignor, but i shall now be a follower of dear martin as much from preferences from being born and educated with his heaven-dictated reformation as the established church these people by treating my notions as heretical have made me a protestant in despite of myself who always used to say that though i dissented from the roman church i did not protest against it but when they profess to worship man instead of god it's time to protest against such gross impiety no sir i said to a priest the other day you do not pay divine honours either to saints or to angels you respect them on the contrary madam replied he we adore them and so we do the pope and it is heresy to oppose that adoration here i finished and resolved never to speak to them on that subject more. Could I but separate my piozzi from these goats? End quote. Having seen Venice, Rome, and Naples, they returned to Milan. Quote, Milan, Casa Federale, 27th of June, 1786. Such happiness I had once in the company of dear Dr. Johnson whose knowledge of the world i now find to be nearly intuitive excepting only that he could never persuade himself to think mankind so wicked as i have since found them to be the anecdotes of his life written by me in various parts of italy begun here in milan continued at florence and finished at leghorn met i understand an extremely favourable reception in england so I ought to be thankful and in good humour with my own country now, for every reason. Indeed, comparing it with others, one must allow it a gainer, though vicious enough, God knows. Our oh, Beckfords and Bickerstaffs do not keep their male mistresses in triumph like the Roman priests and princes. This Italy is indeed a sink of sin, and whoever lives long in it must be a little changed. England certainly does keep the golden mean, and though wickeder than one would wish it, and more defective both in faith and works, I verily do believe it is the best part of Europe to live in for almost every reason. 16th of August, 1786, Milan I have seen a stranger thing, however, here at Milan, than any critical studies can afford nature and her varieties are better worth studying after all than all the other sciences could one acquire them dr johnson once said nobody ever saw a strange thing and challenged two or three friends myself amongst them to say i had in my life been witness to a sight justly called a strange one but i had not then seen our Borghi, a lawyer of this town and a man well respected who actually chews the cud like an ox which he did in my presence and at my request he is eminent for strength his person like that of another mantle stripping he shows a set of ribs and a sternum very surprising indeed and worthy the inspection of anatomists his body on a slight touch even through his clothes throws out electric sparks with all these peculiarities no man has better health i am told and he is eminent for lifting great weights holding a man in the palm of his hand and such tricks he can throw up his meals at pleasure and to oblige me did go through all the operations of eating masticating and vomiting so as to entirely satisfy all curious inquiries i could make and leave me no doubt of the fact which i would not have believed from the relation of any mortal now living. I could hardly have refused credit to Johnson. The Americans have got a trick of travelling, I find. It is very foolish in their government to suffer them. They will get spoiled. Note, the above remark is inserted in Thraliana without preface or comment. Have the Americans been spoiled or improved by continental travel? End note. Third of September, seventeen eighty six. I am exceedingly obliged to the Milanese nobility for their partial regard and tenderness towards me, whom they consider as entitled to every distinction, both by my birth and acquirements. But though they respect my fidelity to the man I have married, they scruple not to declare their opinion of its being very ill bestowed all the gentlemen loudly proclaim their envy of Mr Piozzi, and astonishment at his good luck in getting for his wife a dama di nasita. Note. He was not cavaliere. End note. Every man I have seen almost has made love to me. But when I found how the land lay, a steadily kept resolution never to sit with any man alone even for five minutes, settled that stuff completely. The Italians are sad liars. I would not trust one of them. These old priests teasing me to change my religion is the worst thing. I am afraid of their making Piozzi hate me, and of their putting a woman about him to keep him steady in the good old cause. Milan, 15th of September, 1786. Well, I am now about to close my residence in Italy. At the same moment, as I close my fourth volume of Thraliana, and must confess that no days since I began it have been so happily spent by me as those I have passed in this beautiful country, where my little talents have been respected much beyond their deserts, my conduct extolled far beyond its merit, and my conversation sought for from the mere prevalence of true admiration and esteem. I shall not leave people who deserve so much from me without sincere desire and fervent prayers for their future welfare with regard to my husband it is difficult to express how kind and how attentive he has been may that tenderness not lessen from an idea that when i am once in england i shall need it no longer for to that i shall owe my life Which depends entirely on him, and which his company can alone render pleasing in any nation and beneath any sky. Here then, farewell, fair Italy, say I, whilst other modes and other climes we try. And so they left Italy, where Mrs. Piozzi wrote her little book. Anecdotes of the late Samuel Johnson, LLD, during the last twenty years of his life. She sent the manuscript to England for publication by gadell and as it was the first book she had published, its great success and numerous editions gave her much satisfaction. End of section three.